a brief musical interlude. Let's go ahead and start in Psalm 23, and we'll read Psalms 23 and 24 in our New Testament slot. Psalm 23, verse 1, hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 24, a psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world And they that dwell therein, for he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. (coughs) Excuse me. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Salah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, ye gates, O ye gates, Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Salah. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. So we come to Psalm 23 for a brief explanation of it. It is possible that Psalm 23 is the most well-known of all of the Psalms. Uh, There are folks that believe that the Old Testament is a passe book that we ought or we never really need to look at, and yet they tend to have a knowledge of Psalm 23. There is a, a, a lasting desirability even to folks that would, that would move uh, the Old Testament out of their study purview. Sadly, they would do that. Uh, Still, Psalm 23 retains a lasting uh, place even among folks like that. It is a psalm of David. David wrote it. We will remember that David himself was a keeper of sheep for his his father Jesse. That David uh, kept that flock. And you'll remember that he was chided for it by his older brothers uh, when he came to visit them in the war. Right? Oh, you've come from keeping those few sheep over there for dad, huh? Right, that, it, that they would minimize what he, what he did. David, for his part, 
sees in the shepherding, and this under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, uh, not out of his own musings, but those sanctified or infallible musings that were the gift of the Spirit to him, uh, would look out on his own shepherding and would see in it the way God cares for his own. Of course, the, the, um, the idea of Christ as the good shepherd, of God himself as our shepherd, is a, is a, a concept that appears all over the scriptures. It is not anything that, that could be gainsaid as you know, whether or not that David had come up with a fitting metaphor or not. Um, there are uh, numerous passages of Scripture. When Micah the prophet would prophesy of Christ to come, but thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou art least among the cities of Judah, yet there shall come forth one of thee whose goings forth are of old, of everlasting, and he shall stand and feed or shepherd in the strength of Jehovah his God. Speaking of Christ there, who will shepherd his people. In Ezekiel chapter 34, a chapter that I recommend that ministers and elders ought to read at least once or twice a year, we will learn there that God is the shepherd of his people and he's given shepherds, under shepherds if you will, to to guide the flock, but he will require it of their hand because for God it is all about the sheep. It's all about his people. So, uh, Jesus himself will say, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Peter will say, when the chief shepherd shall appear, speaking to elders, then you will receive a crown incorruptible in 1 Peter chapter 5. Well, there are many other metaphors that we could show from Scripture showing this, or many other passages showing this same metaphor. But let us remember one in particular when David, uh, after numbering the people, was under the judgment of the Lord, the entire nation was, and the pestilence was strong, and 10,000 people had died. And here he is at the threshing floor of Ornan. And Ornan offers him his oxen and his wagon and everything, and says, take this and make an offering to the Lord with it. And David says, I will buy it, I won't take it from you, because I will not offer that which cost me nothing unto the Lord. And when the, the angel, the destroying angel, is, is visually revealed to David, and he sees him standing in midair above the threshing floor of Ornan between David and the people, David will cry out and say, do you remember? Lo, I have sinned and done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? You remember that? And so we see here the sacrificial nature then of the shepherd over his sheep. Well, with that then, let's go ahead and dive in to the, uh, to the text itself. Uh, when we think of sheep, we want to think of, uh, you know, the Lord could have characterized his people as dogs, like we heard earlier today, bulls, um, hinds of the morning, Right? He could have chosen a number of things, but what did he choose? He chose sheep. Why sheep? Why do you think sheep? Well, because number one, 
sheep are never known throughout the history of mankind as beasts of burden. They don't bear burdens very well at all. There's a recognition that we are not built in that way, spiritually speaking. We're not built to carry burdens like that. Secondly, sheep are vulnerable. There are wolves and cats, things that threaten sheep. They must be protected, in other words. They can't protect themselves. The other thing about sheep, if you've talked to shepherds for any amount of time, they'll tell you that sheep get lost. They go astray. Jesus will use that metaphor of the one straying sheep away from the hundred, right? The 99 and the one that has been lost. Um, We are flock animals. We're not lone wolves as sheep, right? We are members of a greater, something greater than just ourselves all of these are fitting uh, understandings of why the lord chose to characterize his people as sheep what about a shepherd well a shepherd has the entire care of the flock sheep generally don't care for themselves right you have to you have to herd them you have to guide them you have to fence them in you have to uh, you have to bring them back when they're lost you have to provide food for them and and safe Places to eat and to drink and so on. So there's feeding and watering and leading. There is also the rod. Notice that David in this metaphor here says that thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Well, let's remember what the rod and the staff are to the shepherd. They are sometimes an implement of discipline for the sheep. Right? And yet David would say that that is a comfort to me. That's right. Sometimes the enemy of our souls may convince us that really what we want is a deistical God that has sort of wound the world up and lets us fend for ourselves. That's the lie of the enemy of your souls. What really is true is that the rod and staff of the Lord comfort us, gives us direction, care, confidence, and so on. And so, finally, he protects, provides, and lays down his life for the sheep. Remember that David himself said that he confronted the lion and the bear on behalf of the sheep that were entrusted into his care. So all of those things uh, should come to bear as we, as we recite in our own uh, minds, the Lord is my shepherd. The next phrase, I shall not want. I have no wants. Or as one paraphrase puts it, I have everything that I need. I have everything that I need. Sometimes there there are sheep that think they don't have everything that they need. And the pastor next door or over or two or three hills over looks better. And so away they go, right? Following a scent or a sound, or a whim, and separate themselves out from the flock and become easy prey. The reason the sheep of God know want then is because they begin at the wrong point. They place their own desires at the fore. And then expecting their shepherd to answer those desires, 
if we would place uh, instead our desires at the feet of the Lord and His Word, asking Him to inform our desires, building them after His will, then we would know the contentment and satisfaction of David. Right? Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, uh, lean not upon your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will give you, remember, the desires of your heart. Most people just take that last phrase. Ooh, whatever it is that I desire, the Lord's bound to give me here. No. All those other things must come first. And then we will have what we want because our wanters will be turned in the right direction. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, then the, the next picture is one of peace and provision for the sheep. Right? He leadeth me... By still waters maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Or maybe it's the other way, I don't remember. Green pastures, still waters. Um, This is not a place of rushing waters that would carry us away. It's not a place of thorns and thistles that would injure when we feed. No, the, the place the Lord leads us to is green pastures and still waters. He restoreth my soul and leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Beloved, you can always tell when you're not being led by the Lord when it's out of the path of righteousness. When the Lord leads you, it'll always be in the, in the path of righteousness. We've all talked to those people that said, Oh, I believe God is leading me, fill in the blank, and it's some sinful action. Madam, sir, I can tell you one thing for sure. God is not leading you. In that. If it's sinful, God is not leading you there. He leads in the paths of righteousness. Sometimes those paths are, verse 4, through the valley of the shadow of death. But there's nothing to fear. Why? Because where he leads, he also accompanies. He doesn't say, hey, go check out that valley of death and see how it is. Right? Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. The Lord will never uh, command you, require you to go somewhere where he is not with you, leading, guiding, and comforting with his rod and his staff. Uh, Then we have with the Lord vindication. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. So vindication for following him wherever he leads. Though we may suffer, though though we may be ridiculed and maligned for following him the lord is about preparing us a table instead then thou anointest my head with oil my cup runneth over and david simply puts the capstone on that by saying all of the goodness that i receive from the lord cannot be measured it cannot be counted up it is more than i can receive finally because of all of this goodness David is assured that, that this goodness and this mercy will continue with him all the days of his life and into eternity. Well, it's a wonderful psalm, and no wonder it has become so popular with so many. We turn to Psalm 24 then. Again, we have a psalm of David. And the psalm begins with, with a statement of ownership. The earth is the Lord's and its fullness. Everything, not just part of it. The people, or the world, sorry, and they that dwell therein. 
what can you see? It belongs to God. All of it. Every bit of it. It's all his. And the, the, um, the implication is here, two things. Number one, he can dispose of it as he wills. He can direct it to do what he desires. And number two, since the earth is the Lord's and its fullness, it all belongs to him. He is the one that we must deal with. Normally, we, we come into this world thinking we're the ones that everybody has to deal with, including God. Here, we get the right understanding of it. The Lord has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. So the next question, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who's got to deal with him? Everyone has got to deal with him. And that's the point. How do you do that? How do you ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or let's make it even more uh, difficult. Who shall stand in his holy place? And so notice what David has done here. He has set up God as creator, ruler, and king over all. The one with whom we must do. And then he has said, and how shall we do that? Who can stand in his holy place? He's going to give a brief description of that. And don't hear in this brief description a minimal list. Maximize it as you hear it. Right? Um, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Verse 4. What does that mean, really, in its proper understanding? It means that for you and for me, it is impossible for us and ourselves to ascend to the hill of the Lord. I know that there are those who read that and say, oh, is that it? Okay. All right. I'll wash my hands. I'll make sure that I'm pure in heart. Any of us ready to sign up for that? Because if you are beloved, you're still confused as to what is required. It's not a holy hill for you. It's a hill you can scale. The reason David uses holy hill here is to remind us that that holiness pertains not to Human holiness, as we might see it exampled, but God's own holiness, which is unimaginably holy. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Of course, here we're speaking in the, in the third person singular here of Christ alone. And we'll get to that in a moment. He That is Christ who has clean hands, a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He and he alone shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. But you might be tempted to say, well, not so fast, Pastor. Take a look at verse 6. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. And then we're told, Salah. Stop and meditate upon that a moment. Right? There's none of us, beloved, in ourselves able to ascend that hill. But in Christ, we are a generation who can. And that word generation in Scripture is, all, is often used for the seed or the generation of Christ. Those who are in Him. Okay, so now in verse 7, we turn. The, the question was asked, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Now the question is answered in verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors. And who shall come in? The King of glory shall come in. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. 
And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? Jehovah of hosts. He is the king of glory. And then we're told once again, meditate on what we have just heard. And so when we say, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, what will we find? You'll, you'll remember a couple of weeks ago I, I used the phrase, we'll find the barricades of heaven if we ascend to the hill of the Lord in our strength, in our own righteousness. But what happens when the king of glory ascends? The gates are thrown open for him. Right? They can't be, they can't be held shut. And so... Christ, the King of glory, is the one who has ascended to the hill of the Lord because He has clean hands, a pure heart. He's not lifted up His soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully. He has received righteousness from the God of His salvation as our mediator. And so the gates are thrown open for Him. And if we are in Him, if we are of His, quote, generation, then we will enter with Him. And there's no other way. And so that's Psalm 24. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer.